My name is Barry Siragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Join us as we go deep discussing hounds and everything hound related with the men and women from around the globe who've dedicated their lives to hunting with hounds. We ask them about the game they pursue, the breeds they run, and to get their insight into what it means to be a modern-day houndsman. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Leave us a comment and subscribe wherever podcasts are available. All right. Well, thank you for coming on again, Bob. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you, and I I wanted to uh, wanted to get you on because you've got I want to talk to you a couple about a couple things. Got a couple stories I wanted to tell you, and then I wanted to talk to you about uh, just get right into it. I wanted to talk to you about the plot fest you've got coming up. Yeah, my pleasure, Barry. It's always good talking to you, and uh, I'm looking forward to this and getting an update on that incredible dog you got it started over that plot dog you got <laughs> in Norway. So, so I'm very, very impressed with that. But uh, yeah, we uh, <clears throat> plot fest is something is an event uh, we started or. I played a part in starting with a group of people doing it, but I was in charge of the dog events back in uh, 2012, I guess it was. And really, okay. For four years then, yeah, at the Maggie Valley Festival Grounds. And it was kind of a, it was really unique at that that time. And something that really attracted me to doing it was that unlike a lot of the field trials and, 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 and club, um, read days and, and events. It's, to me, that's kind of like the you know, old Southern saying, preaching to the choir. I mean, everybody there was like-minded, or most everybody was, and everybody was, you know, had dogs and was, you know, hunters or affiliated somehow with the sport. And uh, we weren't really reaching out to people that didn't know a lot about it or people that were interested in maybe getting involved in it but didn't know enough about it, that sort of thing. Right. So anyway, um, we decided to try to do something that would kind of combine the best of both worlds. We'd have the same type of field trial events that you could find at any good major event, but we'd be focusing, we'd allow any dogs to be involved, of course, but we'd focus on plot hound. It would be named plot fest to honor the plot hound and the history. It would be held in Haywood County where the plot hound became famous. But the key difference was they were going to also combine uh, concerts and and have uh, good food and and even crafts vendors there for in case you know you want to bring your family, maybe your wife or your your significant other or your you know whoever uh, wasn't interested in in doing you know and they wanted to see other things while you were doing the, the field trials or whatever. But right. But, um, we kind of combined the button and we had some really good bands like Boston Range, who's Grammy nominated band, who's based in Taylor County and yeah. uh, award winning bluegrass band. And so we had a, a famous headliner every year and a bunch of other bands too. And in between the band sets, we would bring up our winners of the dog events and give them their trophies and let people see the dogs and talk about the dogs and, and oh, we'd cool. honor any individuals talk about history and so you had these people who were coming just to the concert just to see the concert but now all of a sudden we're being exposed to this other side of the culture so to speak and so we won a lot of people over in that regard because you know, maybe they hadn't seen it before maybe they didn't understand it or maybe they had a preconceived negative notion about it but uh 
uh, and that this allowed us to learn, allowed them to learn more. About it. it allowed us to show them that, you know, we weren't bad people, that sort of thing. Sure. So it started out really well. Of course, of course, the 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 initial plan was, and we were I'm real proud to say that we were able to do that for, for the first four years of the festival. We donated all the proceeds once uh, 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 once the, our expenses were taken care of. Uh, we we donated all the proceeds to local charities. So within four years, we donated. $125,000 to wow. Haywood and Jackson County Head Start program. So it was all volunteers. Um, it, you know, nobody got paid for doing anything. And um, so it was, it was really, really a fun event, but it was really exhausting because, you know, everybody that was doing it had other jobs and family commitments and whatnot. But it was, sure. uh, when we started out the first year, we, we you know, we only had just a few dogs there because we got an early start our late start, I should say, in planning it. And so well, that was a thing where I kind of forced my hand a little bit and said, look, if we're going to do this and use the plot name in it, the plot hound name in it, we need to make sure we plan it a year in advance. So uh, by the next the next festival we did, we started working on it and had about a little over 12 months to get it planned. And right. we had a UKC bench show. We had the uh, both the major plot clubs on the same ground at the same time, which had never been, never happened before. That was kind of like getting a, you know, uh, Arab and Israeli peace talk going at one point. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so it was, a, so it, it was, it was, it was interesting to say the least. And there were some people on both sides of the fence that, that didn't like it and didn't support it, but they kind of came around too. And sure. So then in 2016, we did that, we did that for four years from 2016. And uh, we then just decided to take a break from it because everybody was just kind of burnt out. And people started really constantly asking me again, when we were going to do it again, when we were going to do it again. So I had this new job I'd taken in Maggie Valley last year yep. as director of a heritage center at the Metal Ark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center in Maggie Valley. Yep. And it's based on the grounds of the uh, Metal Ark Motel. And so we had the idea to resurrect the festival on kind of a smaller uh, scale. And uh, the owner of the, the motel, Joseph Franklin McElroy, is a computer expert from New York and runs a business there, but also the native of Haywood County, who's got is passionate about the arts and history and that sort of thing. Sure. And so um, I, I became the, the heritage director for that. I helped put on events for that and so we actually have a plot hound history display inside the motel and we got about three acres of really nice green area right along Jonathan Creek with a big track and a great stock trout stream outdoor stage and so cool. we went about uh, resurrecting the uh, the the festival on a smaller scale by summer and it was a, a big big success and we got it planned again this year for June 3rd. Uh, 2022. That's June 3rd to 5th, 2022? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, starts on Friday, June 3rd, and runs through uh, in Sunday morning, the, the 5th. That's great. Wow, that's exciting. Because you guys, so you started up with this again, was it last year? Or was it the yeah, year before? Uh, yeah, and of course, it, we, that was, it, it was 2020. Yeah. So late, 2021, I'm sorry. 
we, we had actually planned on doing it in 2020, but of course, you know, COVID hit and just pretty much shut everything down. Right. And so we went back and and things kind of loosened up. Uh, you know, last year, and of course, the good thing for us too, these were all outdoor events. The you know, the, the, everything was outdoors, so pretty much. And so we actually, you know, was really pleased with the turnout. We had, you know, we we, we knew we couldn't have a, a starting out over, starting over again, and coming out of the pandemic. We knew that we couldn't, probably wouldn't have, you know. Two or three thousand people, like we had at the other one, but we right. wanted to build back to that, and so we probably had close to two, three hundred people there last year, and probably two hundred fifty, three hundred people, and from all over the country, and uh, and really got off to a good start. You know, we had we had some uh, tree and the band comp, uh, competitions, just demonstrations, yep. and then we had some special awards, and we and we had a. Uh, uh, honored a lot of the older methane winners that were there and and a lot of the people who'd had white dogs for over half a century and interviewed them on stage and we did some history tours and some history programs and had some music and it, so it was it was in food of course and it was uh, had some displays so that people had like Joe Polly was there from out the Midwest and he had some uh, some of his dogs and pedigrees there and I had a bunch of old pedigrees and displays and sort of thing, historical wow. type stuff and for people to see. So it was, it was, uh, it was really fun. Well, that sounds like a blast. I'm, um, <clears throat> I'm working my butt off at this point to, uh, get some time off and be able to make it over there. You know, at this point, the, 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 the only thing that'll keep me uh, from, from making it will be if they, if they shut down the borders again here in Norway. Um, because then I won't, you know, if I can't make it back in, then I'm kind of uh, up a creek without a paddle, I suppose. But if I can make it there and back without uh, without ending up in quarantine for two weeks and, you know, out of work for two weeks, then I, um, I'm going to be there in uh, in June for sure. Because it sounds like... I mean, yeah, we're looking forward to that because... Uh, yeah, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go, go for it. No, I was just going to say last year, I mean, I did the same thing with you too, if you, you know, if you come. Uh, Clay Newcomb, I don't know if you follow his uh, uh, podcast on Meat Eaters. Oh, sure. Yeah. The the Bear Grease podcast. Yeah, I love the one he did with uh, Roy yeah. Clark. Yeah, great, great stuff. Yeah. Well, Clay came last year and stayed three days with us and uh, and did a podcast with me, which hasn't aired yet, uh, but he, I took him and his boys uh, kind of on a informal plot history tour we went up on the parkway and showed him all the favorite hunting areas that are you, know, you can see from the parkway we don't run on the parkway but showed him all the favorite um hunting areas there and, and more importantly really showed him the, the history you know the, the view of the plot balsams and sure. where he and his plot first came into haywood county in the 1800s and john plot's house and the plot hound statue and this plot hound state historical marker so Right. We had about a whole day of it, uh, uh, just riding around, enjoying each other's company, sharing stories, and, and they had some good lunch. And so, uh, so, yeah, so if you, get, you, know, you guys get back to over here, we'll do the same thing with you, too. Oh, I'd love it. would love it. Nothing would be, uh, nothing would be more fun than that. I'm, <clears throat> you know, I'm a, 
my, I don't know if we ever talked about this, uh, you know, but my degree was in, was in history. I'm a history, you know, it's, 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 it's a passion of mine and it's what got me. I was tell, talking to somebody on Facebook here the other day about, uh, about your books and, and kind of what got me into the hounds in the first place was, uh, you know, cause I, I, I ran sled dogs for so many years, but what got me interested in the hounds was yeah. I got, uh, I got pneumonia while I was out running dogs and ended up on the couch for about mm. a week, which for me was just is torture. So I started scanning around on, <clears throat> on Amazon, you know, trying to find something to keep, you know, keep me up, keep me occupied. And I, you know, I was looking through East coast, you know, I'm from Maine. I, I the, the East coast of the United States is, you know, where, you know, where, where, where my heart is. And, and, and I started looking for, uh, history books. And after a little bit, after a little while, you know, I read a lot of books about dogs and I read a lot of books about history or after a little while, your book popped up in my recommendations on, uh, on Amazon. And I was like, Oh, why, why not? I'd, I'd heard of that breed. I'd, I've heard of that breed before. And, uh, I read your book and yeah. man, I was, uh, looking back on it now. It's like, that's, that, that's was the, was the first step off of a precipice here. Now I'm you know, t- five, six years after that, I've got a plot outside. I've got hounds, you know, I've got this whole podcast that has to do with hounds. And really the first thing, that, the first thing that sort of dipped my toe into the whole thing was, was reading your book, um, about the well, plot hound and the history. And it's just great, yeah. great stuff. So, I mean, that would be a dream for me to come over there and be a part of, you know, get to experience pl- plot fest at, you know, and see the, you know, I've seen some pictures of, you know, where the, the Meadowlark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center, and it just looks unbelievably, just like a great, great place. I'd love to go and see it. And then, you know, obviously see all of these, see all of these places that, you know, I've at this point heard of and, you know, mean, mean something to me just in terms of just kind of, you know, by association, just, you know, have being, a fan of the breed and having one myself and you know i I don't think uh i was talking to somebody about the other day they were trying to convince me to get a a norwegian uh dunker hound which are really i mean they're they're cool they're cool dogs and i nothing against them at all but um you know i i i i kind of can't imagine not having a plot at this point it's it's you know, he's only that Dan dog has only been here for yeah. ten yeah. months, but I kind of can't imagine life without one at this point. It gets in your blood, it really does. And <laughs> and I've had, you know, I'm I'm really happy to say that, you know, there's a lot of people have kind of shared similar stories with me over the years that you know they got first exposed to the breed because of the books because I've written six now, or because one of the most gratifying things that ever happened to me was. I was at a book fair one time, and it was actually here in Jackson County, and and uh, a lady came up to me, and she literally bought like five copies of each book that I had written, and, and I thought, well, gosh, I'm glad you're buying them, but, you know, why are you buying that many? You know, and she said, well, she introduced herself and said that at that time, I think they've got a new one now, but she was the head librarian over the library's program for the county. Oh, wow. And that those books were the only thing that are one of the few things that 
that's that motivated young kids to read in, in, in the school, but particularly boys. And she said that they really, that, and a lot of times that was some of the first books they'd ever read and really got interested in and then kind of spurred their interest in, in, in learning other things. And so that was, you know, I found that really neat. And, and like you, I'm a, you know, a super history buff. I mean, and that's what's so cool about that, that, that area where we have the festival. You've got literally all, almost every photograph that you see in that book that was taken in Western North Carolina was taken within, you know, 15 minutes of where the festival takes place. And so, you know, you can actually go and see those places and, and you know, see them in person and really, and of course, and since the first book was written, you know, the state historical marker's been added there. It was only the second marker for the dogs in the 75-year history, or actually it's the 85-year history now, of the markers. And then there's the Pothound wow. statue, which is in downtown Hazelwood, that was just unveiled you know, a couple of years ago. So there's so many things to see, and you know, the Meadowlark's a great place to stand. And that's one cool thing we're doing there, too, there is we've got the motel there where you can stay there on the grounds, and if you stay at the motel, then there's no admission fee. Everything that we do there is free for you as a guest, and we have a free barbecue dinner for you oh, on cool. Saturday night. And that's then, cool. And of course, you don't have to. You don't have to stay. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to stay there either. I mean, there's plenty of other places to stay too, but it saves you a mission fee, and at the same time, it kind of gives everybody a place. And we've got fire pits all over the place, and people can just sit around, talk to each other, and and uh, and that to me, that's the what I always loved about the the primary big events. It was always kind of like a family reunion or a homecoming type thing because. Yeah, it, it gave you a chance to reunite with people you hadn't seen in years, and a lot of cases, you know, really. And, and you know, when I first started going to them, I was a kid, you know, hanging around with the old guys, and now I'm kind of one of the old guys, you know. But um, we've got this year, hopefully, we want a Hogue who's going to turn a hundred years old this year, uh, World War II veteran, highly decorated Battle of the Bulge veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to come and celebrate his birthday there with us. Oh, cool. And of course, he, That's he's great. the originator of the Swamp the Swampland plot hound breed. And, yep, yep. You know, we've had uh, you know, Roy Clark, I think, is going to be there with us. And you mentioned him earlier on the Bear Grease deal. And, uh, uh, but, you know, one of the things I just kind of stumbled into last year was getting as many of those guys on the stage and just asking them questions and just passing the microphone down the line as they answered them, you know, and it was just such a, a, a interesting uh, time to hear, you know, them in their own words describe how they got their first plot, you know, kind of like you did, uh, what, what, how they got exposed to it and how now 50 years later or 60 or 70 years later, they still have them, you know? Right. So, it was uh, really neat to see that. And we also give an award, the Robert Henry Plot Award, that we designed especially for Plot Fest with handcrafted trophies. And, and we've got a UKC big show this year, too. So we've got to actually really rarely for a, usually UKC's pretty uh, uh, apprehensive, for lack of a better word, about allowing individuals to host a, uh, a, a UKC event, mm-hmm. uh, but 
they allowed us to do so. So, so then we've got a UKC sanctioned big show. We've got uh, this year we're not only have demonstrations, but we'll have actual competitions, baying and treating competitions. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, right. Uh, and we'll have all, all the other programs too. So it's um, we've got a young man named two young men named Tim McWilliams and uh, William Ritter who play some classic. A great musicians and play some really old time uh, Merle Travis, Hank Williams, singer uh, Doc Watson. Oh, uh, great! Uh, type music and just yeah, so they'll be there doing that. That's uh, that's uh, awesome. That's, that's so good. It, so you just, just can't beat. You can't beat like a, yeah, just but, on a, on a little tangent there. You cannot beat Doc Watson, in my opinion. That is is one of the no nah, man. More, oh my gosh! No, nah, nah, it's. Yeah, we could do it. Yeah, we could do it. You know, I, I went to the first Ten Merle Fest, and I saw, I probably saw Doc live. God, God, had to be a couple hundred times at least. Really? I saw uh, Doc and Merle Watson perform the last, the last concert before Merle got killed uh, in Mr. Salem. So I've just been a big, big fan of theirs my whole life. But oh yeah, uh, but yeah that's it's, so uh, cool. I would have, like I, I would have given like anything. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And, and got to meet him a few times too. So just great people, and uh, and just yeah, you know, it just gives me cold chills thinking about it. But yeah, so we try to do that type of stuff. And and like I say, the the you know being a history man. I mean, you mentioned my first book. The funny thing about it was uh, this. You know, the second through six books were really are all there. Most all of them, or at least three of them, if not four of them, are yeah, I'd say four of them are still all directly plot-themed books, plot-hound-themed books, either about individuals who were not named plots who, who actually helped you know, perpetuate the breed, or uh, they were uh, uh, more stories about the family. Sure. But, you know, got the, the history of hunting book goes all the way back to the Cherokees, you know, and, and then the Colorful Characters book does the same thing. So there's a lot of history. And, of course, the latest book is about the Western North Carolina Railroad being built in this area. In the, in the yeah, you did that one so with your son, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we had all kinds of great stories. You know, that's what I love about it is these these stories. And it's funny. I may have, I probably mentioned this in the the first podcast, and if I did, I guess you can edit it out. But no, no, no. The um, George Ellison, you know, helped me get my start writing books, and and I'd being naive. To, once I got the contract to write Strike and Stay, I didn't read the fine print about, you know, specifically, I knew what they wanted in terms of the story, but I thought, you know, if you want 200 pages, well, over 200 pages, if you get, you know, 900 pages, that's even better, right? And so, right. <laughs> and so the first draft of the book that I, that I submitted was, was close to a thousand pages. And of course, they laughed when they got it and said, you know, no, that's not how it works. You know, right. you're going to have to go back and edit. There's great, there's great information here, but you're going to have to go back and edit this down to get it to, you know, within the framework of what your contract dictates, which right. is about you know, 210 pages max. So that was a, a job to say the least, but I had all that material left over and really had no intentions of writing any more books, but there were just so many great stories that I had accumulated. And, and again, because of my love for history, 
things I'd stumbled across that didn't necessarily fit the plot handbook, but but were historically related stuff that I was interested in about the Cherokee Wars and, sure. and Cherokee people and that sort of thing. That uh, I thought, well, gosh, yeah, maybe I can you know write another book, and I did, and use a lot of that material and added additional material, and you know, one thing led to another, and ended up with six books. So, that's amazing. Kind of interesting how that whole thing kind of unfolded, so to speak. <laughs> right, right. That's amazing. You know, it's it's um, you know, I, I I I do a little bit of writing, and just the amount of output that is required to put together. I mean, just just an article is. Yeah, I think people underestimate how much work it is to put together a, a, a decent article. But to put together a book is just i mean yeah yeah, yeah especially uh you know especially and i used to do well, i used to do these 30 40 page papers you know when i was getting my degree and they were historical papers mm-hmm. and you know it took me it took me a good chunk of dedicated time to get those done and you know to put together an entire book that is historically accurate and and you know, uh, able to withstand some, you know, some scrutiny in terms of the historical accuracy. It's just, it's an amazing, yeah. it's an amazing accomplishment and that you've done that six times. is just kind of unfathomable to me. Well, yeah, thank you. And, and I tell you, you're, you're a heck of a writer yourself. I mean, I've enjoyed reading some of your stuff too. I, I hope you'll write more in the future. If, uh, I appreciate maybe that. Maybe you book of your own too, because I think you're certainly <laughs> Well, with your, I mean, your background, Barry, with your, I mean, all the stuff you've done, man, just uh, yeah, it amazes me, and I'm fascinated by it. But I, you know, I, I would appreciate about that, one, and, you know, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, man, but I, but I tell you, look, but you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's a couple of things I would add to that in terms of writing is that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of knowledge of people not understand how difficult and how much work it is to put together something and the keywords you, you used are so important, historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Because there are a lot of people that are, a lot of people are terrible writers and just can't write at all and put out garbage even if, it's, even if it is historically accurate. But even more, will just find something they saw on the internet and say, oh, wow, this is, a, I'm going to write a story about this and it's true. And it's absolutely untrue, you know? And yep. they have nothing to documented or substantiated and then all of a sudden some other bozo reads it and it becomes the gospel according to them and the next thing you know you've got 50 different stories out there floating around and everybody's changed a little bit more from the story that was already wrong in the first place right yeah one thing i've really strived strived to yeah one thing i've really strived to do is is to make it you be able to document and substantiate you know, everything that you put on paper and try not to. I think, I, I, I believe I've done a pretty good job of this. And it's not about you. You know, it should be about, you know, so, you know if you're writing a biography of yourself, that's one thing, which, you know, I haven't done and never will. But, but, uh, but if you're writing about the breed or the people who help perpetuate the breed or the people who help originate the breed, you know, it it's, it's not about you. However, if you're writing about the history of the Great Smoky Mountains, you know, you shouldn't spend 50 pages talking about how great you are and how many bears you <laughs> right. know. I mean, uh, it 
just, you know, it, it's not relevant. And the other thing that people, I think, forget about is, is that, uh, you know, there's this common, and, you know, I, I think at one time I was probably guilty of this myself. I think a lot of people have the, the misconception that, well, you know, gosh, everybody that writes a book, you know, they're rich. You know, they, that then once you get that book contract, you're, you know, look at Stephen King, look at John Grisham, look at, right. you know, Larry McMurtry or, you're, you know, you're living you know, large. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you know, New York Times bestseller. Well, you know, what they don't understand is, is, you know, that's just not how it works. I mean, yeah, it's how it works once you get to that level, once you get that, you know, huge publishing house contract. But for me, for writers like me anyway, you know, I got no advance money at all, zero, to write the book. The whole, my contract, the only thing my contract said was, you write it and you write it under these guidelines and we will publish it and distribute it for you. It won't cost you anything, but but you still have to, like, for example, if I want to sell my own books, I have to buy my books from them just like the bookstore does. Right. <laughs> and then in turn sell them to, to my, my readers, which is great because I, that's really the only place. I'm not complaining when I say this, but I'm just trying to let people know you know, if you go into a bookstore or go on Amazon order one of my books, I do get a commission for that. But that commission comes down to about one dollar per book. Right. Whatever, like a dollar and twelve cents. So hey, that's a dollar and twelve cents I didn't have. I didn't do it for the money in the first place. But, you know, anybody can do the math. It takes a lot of books at a dollar a piece to make a living. So I never have made a living writing books. I mean, I still work full time and have what's have since I was a kid. So, you know, it's, it's this misconception of that, you know, you're some rich guy writing books for living and not doing anything else. Now, every one of those books were written after I had worked anywhere from 45 to 65 hours a week, you know, in, a, in, in my job that paid my bills because I would be living in a tent full time if I was depending on book money to 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 you know make my living and 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 people don't understand either. I, I and it's a compliment and I appreciate it, but I, I hear people come up to me and say stuff like, Oh yeah, I bought your book and I love it. I might have to buy another one because I lent it out so many times that uh, I never got it back. I bet you I let seventy five of my friends read it and I'm like, okay, well, that's great. I mean, because 75 book sales I didn't get, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but that's okay. I mean, it, it, the, the, the whole idea is is that, you know, I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I was passionate about it, and I wanted people to know or understand what I felt like and what I felt like I could prove that the truth was because there have been just so many completely wrong things written about the breed and that have just over the years have come to be perceived as as truth that was just anything but and right. so and you know and I'm also and I'm sure as a story you can appreciate this too um, it's you know things are evolving you're always learning new things so you know there's things that you wrote or I wrote 20 years ago that you know, was, it was exactly 100% correct then that today may be something spreadly surfaced that I found, well, maybe that's not, maybe that's a little bit different than that. And, 
And whenever I find anything like that, I'm always quick to it. I haven't been too much like that, but anytime I do, I'm really quick to acknowledge it because I want to learn too. You know, I mean, I want to, I want to, I'm a student. You know, I don't right. know everything. I don't claim to know everything. And, and I think that's a problem too. Once a lot of people get this thing ingrained in their mind, they can't get it out. You know, it's like, you know, even if you show that it was the buckskin standard is a perfect example. Yeah, it's, I, mean, I was just, I it's funny you said that. That was the thing it. that crossed my mind when you said that in relation to the plot hound. That was the first thing that crossed my mind was the plot. That was the uh, buckskin. Yeah. That just, yeah. I mean, it struck I mean, me as yeah, I, I so insane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I foolishly thought that, that, you know, well, gosh, these people just haven't been exposed to the truth and what's, you show them, you know, documentation to substantiate the facts. They will just go like, oh, okay, wow. I didn't realize that. But instead, they got all mad about it. I mean, I got death threats over it, man. I mean, it's like, <laughs> right. seriously? I mean, you know, and, and, and the whole thing about it, too, is, and I'll, I'll say this and shut up about this topic because that's not what you call to talk about, but... but I'm happy to talk about it. It's, it's amazing uh, yeah. Me, I well, I mean, it's just to give me a classic example, I've never actually thought of, well, I had thought about it before, but it really drove home right before Christmas. This young man called me, and he and his wife are doing great work. Um, got started in the breed, got their own little kennel going, and really producing some great dogs. And he sent me a picture of uh, uh, his latest litter they had produced, and it was like, I think, or nine, eight or nine pups in the litter. I can't remember now, but anyway, beautiful, beautiful dogs. And I had no idea what the bloodlines were, but just looking at them, they were just, they looked like purebred plots and just beautiful dogs. Mm-hmm. And they and there were two or three of them were just the prettiest little buckskins you ever seen. And so this guy, when he calls me, he says, yeah, what do you think of the pups? I saw it beautiful, you know. And he goes, well, I've got a question for you. And he said, uh, what, yeah, I want to register these because, you know, I, I do, I compete you know, on the show trail and, also, coon hunt, do a lot of stuff like that. He said, um, I, you know, what, what should I do with the buckskin? Should I register them? Or should I, you know, call them or, or just get rid of them or sell them to somebody else and tell them I can't register them or right. what? And I just kind of hesitated a second. And I said, well, let me, you know, a lot of things going through my mind at that time. But I'm like, okay, this is a young guy and he's learning. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be nice. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, have you read my books? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, man. Forget my books. Don't even just disregard that question. This is a litter. The buckskins, the buckskins came in this litter. All these, all these pups are out the same litter, right? And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, okay. And you're going to register the other six pups, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, why would you not register the other two? Because they're both, you know, UKC and AKC both allow it now, but, but even if they didn't, why would you, what would make them invalid? They came from the same sire and jip, and they came from the same litter. So yeah. if those two buckskins are invalid, then the whole damn litter's invalid. Right. And he's like, oh. I didn't think about that. And I was like, yeah. I said, I mean, that's just common sense. You don't have to believe my books. You don't have to believe, uh, you know, 
the historical documentation I put out there for people, the pedigrees and everything else. But God, just look at this. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, it goes back to, I'm not going to name the guy's name, but I mean, I have a very reputable, uh, well known um, guy in the plot town world who, you know, owns at least three Hall of Fame uh, plot hounds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's in, it's in the NPHA Hall of Fame, for example. And, and I, I just started, just, just again, inadvertently scratched around and, and started looking at some stuff and found that, you know, three of the, all three of those dogs were either part of a litter that had buckskins in them or were sired by a buckskin dog. Is and, that right? And the wow. owner confirmed wow. this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and I asked him about it. I said, I said, how can you be an anti-buckskin guy when you're breeding a buckskin, you're hunting a buckskin, it's by your own admission was a great dog. And you've got dogs that came out of those dogs that came in litters from those dogs that were buckskins. I mean, that's just, that's just hypocritical to me. Yeah, and, uh, I can see that. You know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, that's probably wrong. Uh, you know, you know, I yeah. don't think so. You and, know, it's... And, and, and and but going back to this other guy, go uh, ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I'm listening. Well, no, I was just going to say that, that, that going back to the other young guy for a second. He he. Uh, so I shared that same story with him, and then he, you know, says, "Oh gosh." And I said, well, "You know, while we're on the subject, I said, you know, what are the bloodlines of your dogs? You know, where did you get them from?" And of course, again, my little name and name because you don't want to cause controversy. But the two kennels that he got them from, particularly one of them, uh, the sire came from one and the jip came from another one, are two of the renowned show dogs in in the world, but Hmm. two of the nastiest, most anti-buckskin opponents in the the country. Right. I mean, just have been just openly hostile towards me about it, you know? And, And I'm like... Okay, how can they be that way when they're producing these same dogs? You know, I mean, it just makes no sense. I mean, if you don't want to believe the the, the historical aspect of it, you should at least believe the genetic aspect of it. I mean, it's right sure. there in front of you. Sure, so, I mean, anyway, but people get you know people get real right? prickly about uh, about some th- things that when I take a step back seem so trivial to me. You know, like there's a real split here. And I mean, people yeah. are, people are pretty good about it. You know, they're not, they're not getting real, real gnarly about it yet, but you know, th- th- there's definitely, you get some looks and stuff because you know, there's, there's, there's two types of plot over here and there's not the two types have not really mixed yet. So they're real distinct. You know, you don't have those yeah. middle, those middle things, you know, you've got those kind of real houndy flop, long eared big ball mouth, you know, what, what I kind of think of as, or, you know, a, a little bit more of a coon type of plot. And then you've got some of these, mm-hmm. re, you know, real short ears, real thick tails, you know, chop mouth, stocky, a little bit stockier, more solid, you know, chop mouth, yep. yeah, uh, that, you know, and, you know, most of those guys come from, you know, uh, British Columbia and and up in that area, and there's a real split in the in the community. You right. know, we're not we're not big. I mean, there's not there's there's not more than I think last year. Maybe there was two litters of plots in all of Norway, and uh, 
you know, it's, mm-hmm. we're, we're a small community and, and there's a solid split there, you know, with people who are, you know, if, if your dog has an inch too much ear, well, that's just not worth anything, you know? And it, it's, it's, it's amusing yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I'm still at the point where I can kind of chuckle at it and, you know, just be like, all right, well, that, that, that's fine. I don't, you know, I don't mind the, you know, Dan, Dan's got, you know, sometimes feels like he's got ears down to his ankles. You know, he's, he's a real houndy, he's a real houndy plot, you know, and he's got a great big ball mouth and, you know, gritty, gritty as heck, but you know, at the, at the, he's, he's not, he's not like the, uh, some of these plots that were imported in, in, in 93 or 2003, you know, from, from Steve Moore. Yeah. And those are, I mean, those are great dogs. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It's just Dan's, Dan's not that no, absolutely. type. Absolutely. You know? Dan's just not that type. And, well, and there's nothing, nothing and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's, if you look at the history of the breed, there are different strains, different bloodlines that some are a little bit hounder than other ones, but some are not. But, the thing you got to be careful of is there is, of course, the story, and we don't need to get into it here, but of where the blood hound was brought into it, and yep. you know that was raised a lot of controversy, and rightfully so, and resulted in you know probably not a, well, not probably almost certainly, you know, not a a purebred plot that a lot of people bred to and got famous for. So right. So, uh, so it's still, you know, it's still, it still has some plot blood lines, but it's not, it didn't go back to a pure bed plot, you know? So, yep. um, so, you know, the things you got to think about too, but the other thing is, and you know, not just the, you know, you, you, you can, I think when you start seeing that super, like your dog, you know, that dog is, you know, that's a pure bed plot and what he's oh, yeah. done <laughs> and staying on track for days, like he's done and weather, like he's done, yeah. you know, <laughs> Give me some of that because I mean that's that's the real deal. And but you know, yeah, the ears generally the you know the old time plot was generally believed to have that more of a pancake ear, more of a you know long ear, but not super long. Yep. Where you really looked at was the body. I mean, if you didn't see that saggy, you know, bloodhound saggy skin, loose skin off of it, you didn't see a dog weighing 125 pounds. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you, know, you, you started seeing those things. That, those are where the red lights came on. And, yep. and for, for me anyway, and the same thing with the color. I mean, once the, once the MPHA said, okay, no more blood skins in the standard and, and UKC wouldn't let people register them. You know, geneticists right off the bat started saying, Hey, you've got to, you're going to lose uh, the Brendel color. And all no, no, no. Well, I mean, Again, I've got all this documented. There's tons of genetic experts, I mean, doctors who have testified to the, the legitimacy of this. And mm-hmm. so it's it's scientific fact. And that was driven home, going back to plot fest for a second, that was driven home the first year we had the MPHA and the APA both at the same event. And we had the best dog of the APA, the best dog of the MPHA, and the best dog of the overall best dog of the, of the shows. He sure. took them on stage, and the, and the funny thing about it, and they're all great dogs. Don't get me wrong, but all the MPHA dogs, almost all of them, not all of them, but probably ninety percent of them, ninety five percent of them, were solid black. 
all the APA really? dogs okay. were Tiger Stripe Brindle. Really? Okay. And hmm. and I think to me, I was just sitting there smiling, smiling, looking at that, thinking to myself, well, you know, if that doesn't prove what we've been saying, what does? You know, they, yeah. they just about bred the Brindle out of these dogs because, you know, because they won't, because when that, because, you know, you can't, it's like, you can't hide that. You can't, I mean, you know, you can hide something for a couple of generations as a breeder, but, you know, three or four generations down the line, it's going to eventually pop out again. Now, when it does, you can do whatever you want with it. You can call it, you can get rid of it, you can refuse to keep breeding it, and eventually it will, will filter out. But, uh, but that's what, that's what's happened with some of these people who are, who are, who are anti-buckskin yep. advocates, but yet still produce buckskin dogs, you know, so. Yep. It's like, how can you say that that's not legitimate when you're doing it yourself? The only difference is you're just calling them. Yeah, you know? ex- so, exactly. And it, it's, uh, it's the, the, you know, the genetics aspect of things is, is tough, you know, with, with like with, you know, like with Dan and, and his whole litter, um, you know, they, I am still not a hundred percent sure who his father is because the breeder just do, does not want to yeah. tell me. And I, you know, I called him, to, you know, not <laughs> Not even that long ago, I called him again, and he 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 said that the the father had gone through the ice and died, which you know is is probably true. You know, I don't know him real well, but you know, yeah, I but still don't know who he is. Still don't know what is. Know who the father is. Yeah, yeah, it's driving me and it's driving me crazy. So I've like I've been all over the place, and there was, you know, a, a couple of fun uh, a couple of funny stories I'll tell you off air about that whole thing. But um, you know, like the thing with the thing with Dan and that whole litter. They all turned out real similar in size, you know, right where I like them to be, you know, 50, 55 pounds, you know, for the males, 45 to 50 for the females, mm-hmm. you know, that nice uniform yep, brindle, awesome, brindle color, real nice, except for one. And that dog has got to be 95 pounds. I mean, skin for miles, the ballest mouth I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, if, if mm. the father is the dog that I think that he is, you know, if you, if you go back in those genetics, the dog you were talking about, he's in there, he's in there not, not once, but a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got this, you know, yeah. and, and that's the thing yeah. is that's the kind of thing that's hard to, hard to, it's hard to hide. You know, you can, you can hide it and look at that entire litter and be like, oh, these are, you know, th- these are pure bled purebred plots back to when they stepped off the boat but you know they're 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 yeah most like realistically they're probably not you know realistically you know however many years ago that would have been and there's something in there and the dog yeah and, and the dog we're talking about which you know, we won't talk about on the air here but the dog we're talking about you know was a great coon dog Oh yeah, you know, I mean, it was an absolute great coon dog, but was was just not, you know, a great trail dog and had a great mouth and, and prolific sire, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, just you know, almost certainly wasn't a purebred plot hound, you know, probably yep. half. Uh, but like you say, you know, over the course of multiple generations of purebred plots being infused into that, you know, you can kind of overcome that and. Mm-hmm. And you have, and or whoever bred the dogs have, but uh, but like you say, it, it, it's going to come out eventually. And 
uh, and, you know, I think it was, I can't, it was one of my books, and I call it Black, it seemed like it was Isaiah Kidd, or I said one time, or maybe it involved Black, and yeah, Goldsberger said, one of, the, one of the big five said, mm-hmm. that, you know, you can, a skilled breeder can, can hide, can hide anything for about two to three generations, but after that, uh, it's going to come out eventually. So <laughs> right. that's, you know, it, it's, I'm reminded, you know, I was at a, I was in a, 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 and you know, again, I was at Plot Fest, one of the early Plot Fests we had, and this guy there was standing there pontificating about, you know, what a great bear hunter he is, and and what a great breeding program he has, and and which is, you know, probably true, I guess, but well, actually, it's not, but uh, <laughs> but he. The point he was making, well, the reason I say he's not is the point he was making was, you know, his standards were so incredibly high because he was so great that, you know, he he had two or three litters of dogs a year, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine litters of pups in a litter that, you know, he only kept probably two yeah. out of that amount because he got rid of all the rest of them because they just didn't meet his standards. And that was, the, and that was because he had a superior breeding program. And the guy asked me, said, what do you think about that? And I said, I think that's bullshit. That's what I think. Right. I said, you know, it's, it's indicative of a, a inferior breeding program. I mean, and that's not my thinking. That's stuff that Bud Line and, and Bob Plot and other people, you know, told me as a kid and as a young man that, you know, if, you know, certainly you're not going to produce world champion dogs every single dog that, that you, that, you know, that you breed. But if you're not producing, you know, if, if a litter of your pups, if there's eight pups in a litter and you're getting rid of more than you're keeping or something, you're doing something wrong. Right. You know? Yeah, you're I mean, doing something absolutely. Absolutely. And these guys have been, have been doing it for so long and were sticking to the same formula of, of, of line breeding that... They were like, man, you know, we, I, I hadn't had, I've kept dogs, almost every dog I've bred for years and sold those dogs to other people who love them and still love them and are still breeding them. Yep. And he said, you know, when it gets to the point where I'm not doing that, you know, I may bring in some outside blood to still purebred, but to, to freshen it up a little bit. Sure. But, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm not going to break it if it's not broken, you know. Or fix it if it's not broken, and I and I think that's the thing. I th- I think so many people try to to uh, you know they make it they make it about themselves. You know they they, 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 they do. Want to be like, and, well, this is my line. I originally right. did, and and, and, and that's just, such an easy to trap to fall into it, too, it, isn't it? It's like yeah. th- th- because it, you know you read is. of all these. It's all about ego. Yeah, you read about all these great breeders throughout you know throughout the history of life. Like, let's just let's just stick with plot hounds. I can think of you know sled dogs well, but you know you, you think of these people who really mm-hmm. sort of yeah. put, set their stamp on the breed, you know, and and you you sort of kind of you know reading your yeah. book and stuff like that, you think, man, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be something to be you know if eighty years from now. Somebody mentioned my name in the same with the same reference that you know we talk about people like Gola Ferguson and Von Plot and John Plot and you know pl- people like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think you know for, for 
you know, for somebody like me, that's like, a, well, that, that's just never going to happen. And that's totally okay with me. And then, you know, but I think for some people, that's almost a motivation for doing things that maybe they shouldn't do just so that they get noticed and some hope that maybe eventually yeah. they, it, it will lead to some kind of notoriety in some positive way uh, within the breed. And it's, I think that's so unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. It is there, and I think, and I, I would disagree with you on one thing. I mean, a guy as young as you are, and with the dedication that you have, you could actually do something like that because you have the knowledge and the dedication to do it. But the key component here is time. You know, right. most people <laughs> don't have the time or won't take the time to do it because Charles Gant, who just passed away not too long ago, great, great breeder. Uh, he said, you know, look, you know, anybody with the foundation stock that is available, you go out and find the dog that you want that fits your needs that you say, okay, that's why I want to build around. Mm. And you get you a female and a male and start breeding that and then refine it over a 25 to 30 year period. You can have the, your own, own strain of plot hounds. You know? Sure. But not many people have that sort of dedication or time or willing to put that sort of work into right. doing it. They want just kind of like the you know the, the computer and iPhone generation. They want that instant gratification of okay, I, I got the you know Bear's got a great dog and Jason's got a great dog and Bill over here's got a great dog. Well, I'm gonna get dogs from them. I'm gonna breed them real quick, and then when I get them, I'm gonna. I like them. I'm gonna go find three other different people and breed them. And I'm gonna go find, and you know, and the end result is, you, a lot of times they get some pretty good dogs. There's no consistency to them. That's right. why the guy's sitting there getting rid of so many dogs because he he doesn't know he doesn't know what he has. And that's when they always try to play that card with you, like, oh well, that pedigree doesn't mean anything in the woods. Well, no, nobody's saying it does, except it's a hell of a roadmap to get you where you want to be in the woods. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I mean you don't have that, yeah. that solid, solid, you know, pedigree behind you. I mean, even you go back and look at my family and I've got examples of it. I could, I could put them in your hand. You know, they were writing down handwritten pedigrees in pencil on the back of calendar pages, you know, with brackets showing here's the, here's the sire, here's the dam. Mm-hmm. Here's the pups, and going back five, six, seven generations, they knew That's what awesome. they were doing. You oh, know, they absolutely! Didn't have the, they weren't UKC registered because they weren't. They, weren't, they yeah, they that was the 1980s, but but uh, earlier, right? But they even then they were like, well, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm keeping record of this so I can keep up with it. And they were looking at it like, hey, I don't want to mess this up. You know, it's working. Sure, and. And, and the results speak for themselves. So, so, so I, you know, I encourage anybody, you know, yourself, anybody else that's willing to put the time and the energy and the dedication into doing something like that. I mean, this dog you got right now, I mean, I wish you could find the, the father's name because, oh, you know, gosh. if you could find a way to, to, yeah. to, 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 to breed that dog with another blood, I mean, another pure bred bloodline. Yeah. I think you could probably do some amazing things. That could be a foundation stock for an incredible line of Norwegian bloodhounds, you know what I mean, which I'd love to see. 
I would love to but, see uh, that too. You know, and just, uh, the first, the what I've been trying to do over here is what you know. One of the first things I picked up on this was before I got a plot myself. I, I actually started started this whole project before I had Dan myself. Was um, I was surprised to find out uh, when I started looking into it a little bit more that the plot was not a recognized breed by the Norwegian Kennel Club. It was not considered a rec- hmm. it was not considered a recognized hmm. breed, despite the fact that, that it's been you know registered in the United States, and despite the fact that it's participated at you know the was it the Westminster Dog Show, um, you know yeah, it's, right. it's, yep, yep. it was not recognized as a breed. And I, I contacted the Norwegian Kennel Club and asked, and they're like, "Well, it's not it's not a purebred." And I said, "Well, what what do you base that on?" And they said, well, it's clearly just a mixed breed yeah. of Hanoverian and something else. And I said, what do you mean clearly? This is, I mean, what are you basing that on? Yeah, really. And their, yeah, their, right. And their response was, well, everybody knows that. And I, I kind of hung up the phone yeah. and that <laughs> stuck with, you know, I chewed on that for about a week and it just got more and more bitter the longer I chewed on it. And in the end, what I ended up doing was I wrote a form <laughs> email with doc like documenting that this was a purebred dog you know documenting when it was you know um yeah. when it was accepted into the akc when it was you know the 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 ukc w- the the results from westminster right. you know, et, et cetera et cetera and i sent that email and they to them and got the response that um we're not willing to consider this at this time and my response to that was to copy and paste that email and to send it to every single person who worked at the Norwegian Kennel Club every week for six months. And good for you. got a response finally at the end that uh, they have reconsidered and that effective immediately the plot hound is, is recognized by the... Norwegian Kennel Club, and if I would very kindly stop sending <laughs> stop sending them emails. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. Because now that you mentioned, I remember you, you you sent me an email or a message telling me that it had been done, but I didn't realize that I knew you'd put a lot of work into it, but I didn't realize it was that much. And oh, it, it wasn't really that much. I mean, it, it was know, just. The whole time. If there's one thing I can do fairly effortlessly, it's be annoying, and that's that's kind of just what I did is uh, made a made well, myself yeah, uh, yeah. as annoying I as that, possible. That quality. <laughs> and uh, but well, you know, and I mean, and, and that, I think, quite frankly, I mean, I um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go. I'm, I'm listening. Well, no, I would just, I would just, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I would just, I was just thinking that the point, you know, is. Bravo for doing that because I mean that's it's it, that's what it takes sometimes because it's just kind of like I even had people you know APA for example supports the 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 the, the, the Brindle I mean the uh, the Buckskin Standard and and, and the in that case he does as well well I had actually had people in the a few people not a lot but a few people in APA being like man you need to shut up about this all you're doing is creating controversy and dissension. And of course, everybody in the MPHA, most everybody, hated me because of it, because it was just a slap in their face. And uh, and I just wouldn't stop. You know, I mean, I had, a, I had a platform in these magazine articles and these books, and I used it. And a guy at that UKC, you know, 
uh, for years would call me. He said, he said, you know, he said, you know, there's like 18 purebred dogs in the world that are have predominantly brindle coats. And he said, you know, the only one that's not it does not include the buckskin in their in their, their color stand. I said, yeah. And he goes, do you know how stupid that makes y'all look? Yeah, right. This right. is a guy from UKC telling me this. Right. And I, and I said, well, you know, why don't you do something about it then? You know, and he goes, well, we're trying. And he said, but you know, we want to try to get the, 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 we'll try to get the club to, to, you know, go along with it first. And finally they wouldn't. And I just kept on. I was just relentless. I would not stop bitching about it and complaining about it. And finally they did. And, uh, and, and of course the end result was justice, I think was served. Uh, the, but you know, in, in the process, I mean, certainly, I made a lot of people mad and probably made a lot of enemies in the process. But the truth was served, and it was something that I never thought was going to happen. I mean, I didn't right. think I'd see it in my lifetime. And so, for me, I'm just like, hey, if I don't, if nothing else happens in that regard pertaining to plot breed in my lifetime, my mission is accomplished. I'm done. You know, I'm, right. I'm, and I'm not saying that I take total credit for that because I don't. I mean, there's plenty of other people. I had to get smart too, John Jackson and other people. Yeah. But um, but I just was not going to back down from it, you know, just like you didn't do with that. And, and God bless you for not doing it because I tell you, <laughs> I think, number one, I appreciate you doing it for the, for, for the breed. And number two, being able, the way you get results, you know, I'm just so impressed with what you guys are doing too. I mean, with the laws and regulations you have to deal with in terms of all being able to hunt with one dog, and yeah, in the conditions you're hunting in. I mean, I mean, we're you know we're <laughs> you're hunting in conditions like right like right now we're all you know everybody's all hunkered down on the east coast here because there's supposed to be a big huge snowstorm coming in this weekend that's gonna you know blow in and do a lot of damage and and be gone in a week. Yep, you, yep. You're dealing with that all winter, you know? And, uh, so, I mean, I mean the, the conditions are you know, tough here. I know what kind of damage I could... Yeah. It's, it's. I know they are. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, yeah I mean, it's, I... it's, it's a challenging one, man. And that dog was, Dan was on, it stayed on a trip, what, three days, something like that. Yeah. I let him not, not a, <laughs> not a full three days. He was, he was on, I dropped him on a Fox. He, he struck on a fox at eight o'clock in the morning on Tuesday. And at that point we had about two and a half feet of snow okay. on the ground okay. and it was about maybe 10 degrees above zero. Um, and wow. he, ch he ran that fox into an area that I knew of and I knew that there was a den in there, but there was already another dog with another fox working that den when they got in there close. So the fox that Dan was on, that took a big, uh, a big swing up and around the lake. And once it got onto the other side of that lake, there was, there's, I mean, it was miles and miles and miles to the closest road. And they just went out into the middle of nowhere and I lost him off the GPS. And, um, I tried, you know, I was walking around in there trying to get him back on the GPS, getting, you know, going up high, trying to get, you know, trying to get to where I could get him back in. Cause I couldn't hear him. I, you know, there, I, he was, 
he he was gone so i was just kind of walking tra- walking his tracks trying to figure out what he was doing and i i worked for about 13 hours to find him and 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 didn't got him in on the gps for a moment uh and then he was two and a half three miles from the closest road and there was no no way to get a snowmobile in wow. there or anything like that so um i had to leave him out there to to go home and i i needed i needed to refuel i needed some food i hadn't eaten you know um myself and it had been going like i said for about 13 hours so i was i was pretty tuckered um and got out early the next morning got him on the gps for a minute but then he was still like every time i get i got him on the gps the the bark counter on the on the garmin would update and it would update by you know many thousands every time wow. i got him in and you know every time i got him in it would be like you know he was every, you know i've had him face to face with with moose i've had him face to face with fox and his like treed bark tends to be you know 35 40 barks a minute you know it's it's they're they're kind of longer longer balls you know so but i mean there were times when he was up to 70 75 80 barks a minute uh during this whole process the entire time he was hunting and he kept treeing but then whatever he was working would bail because i don't think it was the fox because you know i i at foxes normally go to ground after a little while and they definitely don't keep going for days and they don't tree um, or they, you know, they do, but it's rare, but this, you know, this just kept going until I got him in at five o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. And then I could not get him back in on the GPS again until four o'clock in the afternoon. And at that point, a ground blizzard had blown up and I mean, it wasn't real bad, but it was, I mean, it was getting bad. The temperatures had dropped to around zero and the wind was really blowing and it was just, it was getting rough. And I was at that point, I was tired at that point. I was having a hard time, uh, kind of, uh, maintaining in the, uh, in the snow. And, um, sure. but suddenly he popped up on the GPS again. And then he was only about a mile and a half from the closest road. So a buddy of mine and my wife actually walked into him and then he wasn't, he wasn't treeing exactly but he was locating and was he was he was at a tree he had been there for a long time bark was all worn off the lower part of the tree they didn't see anything up in there they never saw what was up in that tree um couldn't see tracks on the way in or the way out that would explain what he was doing but he was uh he was hard treat he he wore a bunch of bunch of skin off the off of his elbows and you know, a bunch of skin off of his feet and wore his cl- nails right down, uh, treeing up on this, up on this old wow. mountain pine up there. And by the time we got him back to the truck, he had been actively treeing, or, you know, actively hunting and treeing for 38 hours. Um, Good Lord. By himself in the snow at night at 14 months old. Which I mean, I've I've read your book. I I, I, yeah. I know they're tough, but that 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 blew me away. I could I still kind of can't believe that. Um. So the uh, the bark well, counter I mean, at the end of that whole adventure, the bark counter was 
25,714 barks. <laughs> gosh. Man. You got to send me an email with all this information in it because I want to put, put that in my next article because that's, that's... I'll write up the full story and send it to you. Yeah. Yeah, do, man, because I'll put it just in there just verbatim because that is, that's, people need to hear about that. I mean, that, I mean, I'm, you told me the other day, and for some reason I was thinking three days, but 38 hours, I mean, that's still incredible. I mean, that's godly. Yeah, like I've, I've heard of dog packs doing stuff like that where, you know, some of them will go and sleep for a little while and then, yeah, while the other ones yeah, keep a bare yeah. tree. Do you know, and, and you yeah. used to talk about, was it the who who was yeah, it that used yeah. to do that? The cable was it the cables that used to break off on Saturday night and come back yeah, on yeah. Monday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the cable family they were notorious for that because they it went on the Sabbath. So if they treated bear at midnight on Saturday night, they would just go back home until you know Monday morning at daybreak and come right. back and, and kill it. And and they awesome. told people that you know for years and. And, and a lot of people just thought with a tall tale of the guy actually neighbor there so back and, and, and witnessed it firsthand. But, but this is even more impressive than that. I mean, because he's talking about, like you say, a solo dog and, and those type of conditions. And golly, man, I mean, that's, you know, and I've heard and, you know, over the years of other dogs, you know, staying on a trail for, you know, on a, on a you know, in, in some real harsh terrain for, you know, day two days that sort of thing mm-hmm. but uh but like you said they were always if they didn't start if they didn't if they didn't have another two or three dogs with them they started out with a pack anyway usually so, yep. so i think there's a, a, a difference there in that age too the 14 months i mean that's still basically a pup i mean you know oh, for yeah. all practical purposes i mean oh yeah um so i mean that, that, that's uh wow i mean that's 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 impressive it really is yeah, he's uh, he's he's an yeah, impressive dog, you know. I I, I uh, he he's struck me. He's impressed me with his grit from really day one. You know, not not many weeks after I got him here, he uh, he took out. I was just walking him. You know, he was a, just a little a, a little shaver. You know, he was he was a little guy, and I was walking him along this road, and and suddenly there were there were some lynx tracks across the road, and his his the his mother was a lynx dog. And actually went and hunted a couple of the a couple of uh-huh. times while she still had the pups, and so she'd come back smelling of lynx, and that that clearly meant something to him because he took off into the woods Ooh. after that. And I mean, there was a bunch of snow still. And I went and got my snowshoes, went fo- started following him, and he followed those lynx tracks for you know. And this at this point he was four months old. He followed those for probably four hundred yards. And then clearly had bumped a moose and then ran that moose for probably eight or 900 yards before he had managed to get in front of it. And at that point, the moose had kicked him because from that point on, his tracks were flecked with blood. So I'm walking oh, in man. thinking that I'm going to find at some point, I'm just going to find this pup, you know, because I couldn't tell whether he had been following the moose or whether the moose had then been chasing him, you know, uh, because the the tracks were parallel, so they never crossed. So I wasn't able to see whether the blood was up in the moose tracks or, or, you know, that kind of... Anyway, I I hear him, 
just losing his mind in there. And I walk into him and he has this, I mean, four month old pup. I could pick him up with one hand. Has this moose backed into the, you know, this young, youngish moose. It wasn't, you know, wasn't full grown, but it was probably, you know, two years old. Backed up into the bushes. He's bleeding from both no nostrils. Just losing his mind. Oh, man. And, you know, I called it, I called him off. And I mean, his pupils are dilated and he is just like hackles her up and just pure electricity, that whole dog. And, uh, you know, I managed to, the moose had just clipped him, (laughs) didn't knock any of his teeth out, didn't break his jaw or anything like that. Just, you know, managed to get him in the nose. And, uh, and yeah, he was bleeding, bleeding from both nostrils and he, uh, had a, took me a long time to break him off a moose after that he had this kind of you know hate relationship with moose after that if he could if he could run moose he would oh my gosh it's just like and it's (laughs) such a different deal than the other hounds i've got you know it's it's i've got this other hound i mean and that's i mean yeah yeah i've got i've got this other hound that got bitten in his face by a fox, little one. Just I saw the fox, little year a yearling, wow. like born a pup from the spring. Got bitten on the nose. Has not hunted yeah. a day since. That was enough. That was all it took to turn that dog off a fox for, you know, yeah. potentially the rest of yeah. its life. And yeah. then you that, that yeah. was a two year old male. And now you've got this Dan dog that at four months old got yeah. kicked in the face by moose, and that's all he wanted for the next six, you know, almost six months. That's all he wanted to run was moose. <laughs> He wants more. Yeah, he wants. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is it? Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, I'm, and, and and I think you know people think that you know sometimes I know they've done it with me. Why they'll be like, "Oh, you're knocking down the breeds." Like, no, no, I'm, there are I'm plenty of great other hunting dog breeds in the world. I mean, well, hundreds of them. I'm not, you know, disparaging any of them. I just think that. It's just my experience, and granted I'm biased, but in my experience, you know, that, that plot just got that extra tenacity and intelligence and grit that, yep. that just I just haven't seen anywhere else, you know. And uh, and that's not to say there aren't, like I say, I mean, I've had people come to me all the time, like, well, you know, anything against the walker or, or red bone or black and tan? No, of course not, man. And if they're working for you and you like them and they're doing what you want them to do, then. It doesn't matter what I think, you know, you, that's your dog. I mean, God bless you, taking care of it and, and running it, you know. I mean, that's uh, that's a good thing. You know, and I've seen some great ones. I mean, I've seen some, some, you know, a lot of other great, you know, walker dogs, and black and tans, head bones, you know, they're just tearing it up. But I've just, you know, never seen anything to match a plot myself, you know. I mean, a, a good one. And, I tell you, and you've got, you know, we all talk about this, and, and I mean, I think that's another mistake some people make sometimes, too. I think people look at these dogs and go, if they have a litter, every single one of them should be the best dog they ever walk the face of the earth. And for right. my opinion, the truth is, you know, different dogs have different traits. You, you know, some dogs make great pack dogs, some make great strike dogs, some make great tree dogs. But when you find that one that has that combination of all those things, those are those, you know, once in a generation or once in a lifetime dogs that you that you dream about. And, oh yeah, and uh, and that's what you got there. It seems to me like, I mean, boy, I mean, that's that's 
great, a great dog for sure. Well, I think absolutely. I think he's got the potential to be. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's yeah, showing a ton of a ton of a ton of promise, and, and it's intimidating to me because I mean, that is a much much better dog than I am a trainer. You know, I I don't I don't know. You know, I'm still green enough in this whole hound thing after making the switch from from the huskies. You know, if I got a if I got a husky that was that good. I would feel like I had, I would have some kind of leg to stand on in terms of like, okay, I know how to, I know how to make, develop this dog. But with, with Dan, it's just like, I'm doing the kind of common sense stuff, but boy, I kind of, uh, I, I would give, I would give a lot right now to have 20 years of experience going into training this particular individual because he's, uh, I think he's something special and I'm not confident in my own abilities yeah. to bring 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 that all out you know well I, I think you can and i think you have i think you are i mean i think it reminds me of an old story uh hack smith deal had these fellas from over in uh oh gosh i can't think of the last names that they were that lived in the uh, burke county area uh, mm-hmm. over in around nor that area and anyway, they were, I mean, they had, he had some of Virginia too. Eddie Hope was one of them. And they, they were called his brush busters. They basically, you know, Hack was a, 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 a very fluent businessman and had brought, had bought and purchased dogs directly from the Plot family of home and John Plot, little George. And, and just together, you know, just at one time in the you know, late 40s and 50s, just uh, probably the best, best plot pack of plot dogs around. Hmm. And uh, anyway, so those brush, he hired these guys. He hired these guys to to um, and and he did what well, a lot of people. You know, I know, yeah, you know, talk about this in the book. He wasn't. You know, he was by his own admission, he wasn't the world's greatest dog breeder. He just bought, purchased these dogs. He got all the little George Potts dogs before and after little George got killed, and and uh, got well, John kept some of them, but. But uh, he got a lot of dogs from John, so he just had this great foundation stock that that was just you know in, incomparable. Well, anyway, the, he hired these guys to, to handle the dogs. So he, by his own admission, he wasn't a great breeder, but he loved to hunt. He would take you know dignitaries out with him: Roy Acuff, Grand Ole Opry, Starkman, bear hunting with him down Eastern North Carolina. Wow. So he he called these guys that he worked for him. His brush, his brush busters. They were, they were, uh, they would handle the dogs, and they would go after. You know, they did. They did the work basically. Yeah. And so these guys were all hardcore uh, hunters and, and expert woodsmen, and knew dog inside out. And there was a, a outdoor magazine in the fifties that had a quote from one of them, and he he you know, kind of tongue in cheek said that. He didn't know what kind of uh, uh, magic tricks those, those plot boys had that made those dogs so special. What kind of dog training tricks that made those dogs so special? Because he had never seen anything that had so much grit and, and, and speed and agility and yep. tenacity. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. The quote was a lot better than that. But what he was saying was was that it was just bred into him. Yep. You know, that, that, that you could... What you're doing is really all you need to do. If you've got the right dog, 
if you can teach them those common sense commands and get them out in the brush in the woods as much as you can when they're old enough, you're going to have success. And you're and you're seeing that already. I mean, it's not. I don't think there's. I think a lot of people again because that ego. You're a humble guy and you're looking at it the right way. A lot of people with ego will as well. I train this dog, and I like I call BS on that. <laughs> right. You can't train a dog. You can't teach a dog nose. I've tried to. Yeah. I've tried to keep yeah. up you with that. Is pretty much really. all what I you can say about. Dog I've just been trying to trying to keep up. Uh, yeah, I mean, with a good dog, a great dog, that's all. That's all you can. Do. But you know, you put them in position to succeed, and you teach them those basic common sense commands of, you know, that they need, and yep. give them the discipline they need to do that. But if you got the right dog, that's all you need to do. You know, because the rest of that stuff, I don't give a dang who you are. You know, you can be, you can have 900 years of dog training experience. You can't teach that. You can teach them to come to you and heal and roll over and do all sorts of magic tricks, but you can't teach nose. You can't teach grit. You can't teach tenacity. You just can't. Yeah, I, mean, I don't care yeah. who you are. No, but, that, that's but true. You, you do, you, you, you do, you do have to, yeah, I mean, you do have to get them out there and you're doing that. But, I mean, obviously, you, a dog could have all those skills and if you keep him killed, and never put him in the woods and never gave him the opportunity to use him, then yeah, that's not going to work out. But right. uh, it's something that you're doing the right thing, man. You're doing exactly the right thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I hope so. Cause like I, like I said, he's, uh, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know much, but you know, I can see, uh, I, I know a good dog when I see it and, um, you know, he's, I think he's something special for me anyway. And, and that's, that's, um, you know, it, it kind of put a lot of pressure on myself to, to, you know, he, he doesn't have any expectations of me, but kind of put up, you know, I, I, I want to, I, I, he's one of those dogs where I feel like every time I put him down, I feel some pressure to earn, to earn the privilege of, of, of hunting him, you know, to earn the privilege of, of being, you know the 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 guy that unclips his leash because um, he's a uh, he's you know to me he he's a special dog to me and I I feel like he he deserves me kind of do putting my best foot forward and, and trying to you know I, I'll I'll never be able to match his grit but at least trying to um, you know trying to uh, back him up as much as I can and you know like the other night you know actually getting making sure that i got him out of there because his his collar died on the way down um on the way down from the mountain you know his collar was on its last legs in the cold and um you know i was real happy to get him back um but felt like he you know deserved me yeah yeah doing what it took to get him out of there and that's i feel like too well you owe it to him you know and i mean and, and you know, if the dogs go give that that much to you, you got to give that much back to them, or yep. as much as you can. And clearly, you have. And I think that's the key. And the other thing I would add to that is, is that uh, in my opinion, you know, people want to try to specialize everything and say, "Oh well, I'm the foremost of this or foremost of that." But you know, you spent you know most of your life working dogs of some type and are a sled dog expert. You can, if you can do that with a sled dog, you can do that with a hound. I mean, a dog's a dog, and they, I mean, I know.
they do different things. I understand they have different skills. I understand they have different capabilities and, and, and talents. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you said, you you understand and, re- and recognize a good dog when you see it. And that and that applies to any breed. You know, and I think yeah. the same principles that apply to making that dog a success applies to any breed. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a Chihuahua or a, a Dugman Pinscher or, uh, you know, the greediest bear dog in the world. I mean, if the, those training principles and recognition of their qualities are the same. And, again, I think a lot of people try to, because of, you know, misogyny their own egos, well, you know, you have to be the foremost bear hunter or the foremost elephant hunter or the foremost whatever hunter in the world to say that. Nah, the truth don't, you know, the truth is the truth. You know, you don't qualify the truth by, you know, if you killed a thousand bears or one bear or whatever, the truth is still the same. Yeah, that's true. And doing the right thing with those dogs is still the same. That that's true. You know, it's 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 so yeah. So it's um, it's, uh, I uh, I've. I appreciate you being. I I appreciate you being humble, but don't but don't but don't uh, don't (laughs) underestimate what you're what you're contributing to because you're 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 contributing a lot. You really are. I I appreciate that. You know, I I I I do appreciate that. I think um, it's one of the things I said is is one of my few strengths as a trainer is that is that I'll I'll get out there and mix it up. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, as you said, with a dog, like with a dog, like Dan, you know, you've, you've giving him the opportunity to develop and, and make mistakes and allow him to, you know, allow him to screw up and heck run moose for four, for, you know, work for four months, getting him off a of moose, you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. like, and, you know, I, it's, a it's a dog that I really like. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm, uh, really up to the task cause he's, he is such an intense animal. You know, uh, the other dogs I can, you know, I, I can go out with, with my, you know, my running walker and say, okay, well I'll be, I'll be back in five or six hours, you know, cause I know that if I put her on a Fox, she's going to run that Fox for five, six hours. And most likely it's going to den. And if it doesn't, you know, I'll be able to call her off. You know, but with with Dan, you know, it's right. like, uh, well, I'll be back in a couple of days. I'll be back between five or six hours and a few days from from now. And uh, it's uh, it it can be intimidating sometimes. He's uh, he's an intense intense dog. I'll be but back I, when the job's done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's like, uh, you know, I'll be I'll be back. I'll I'll be back when I get him back. You know, and he's uh yeah he's a he's a real good dog and i i i'm really looking forward really looking forward to him you know seeing him progress and i know his i know his mom a little bit um you know obviously better than i know his dad i know his dad's name was frost um but is an unregistered dog because he's a norwegian you know a norwegian dog so none of the norwegian dogs are registered um um you know didn't even have the possibility up until a few months ago um, but his mom is right. kind of similar to him, real, real gritty hound. You know, she, she disappeared for four days hunting bear, uh, when she was just a youngster as well, real solid, s- solid, nice hound. So I think, um, what I'm, 
there's a couple of males over here that I, I really like. Um, you know, I, I won't name them all, but the, you know, there's a, there's a, a dog over here from, um, from Gary Hosker and Joy Hosker named Preacher. That's a, yeah, yeah. He, he's a real nice looking animal. Yeah, good people. Yep. And I've talked a little bit with Joy. Uh, I was real sad to hear Gary passed away here uh, not that long ago. Um, yeah, yeah, right Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they've got a dog over here in Sweden that if I, if I had my, if I had my way, I would love to see Dan's mother bred to Preacher. But we'll, we'll, we'll see if that happens. I'm unfortunately not in charge. <laughs> I don't own either of those dogs, so it's, uh, I'm going to put it out there in the ether and, uh, and hope that, uh, hope that it happens. Well, I do too, man. I think, yeah. Be, I think you. I don't think you go wrong with those those dogs either. I think, but I, you got to figure out something because you just got something too good there not to get, not to at least try. Yeah, well, I agree. To, uh, yep. You know, make 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 something happen with. And I think you. I mean, with that sort of of uh, proven success, I think I think you. I think you'll do well. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I've. Uh, it's a. It's, it's a. F- it's become a passion of mine after starting from when I read your book to, to, to now. And it's, it's going to be something I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep on and, and, um, and we'll, we'll see where it takes me. I'm, I'm looking forward to the ride anyway. Yeah. So. Well, the breeds force it to have, you know, we need young guys like yourself that, that's willing to put that time in that aren't so self-absorbed with, you know, self-promotion. Uh, so, I mean, man, keep up the good work. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm proud of you and appreciate what you're doing because it's, uh, uh, like I said, I hope you'll come to Plot Fest. Uh, oh, that's, that's my understand, plan. Understand, certainly understand the, 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 understand the family obligations and that sort of stuff. And I certainly understand not wanting to, we'll find you a place to stay if you have to stay over here for a while. So don't worry about that. But I um, appreciate it. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's gonna be a good time. Yeah, that's it's it's my plan. I've I'm uh it's it's not just something I'm saying, oh that would be nice. It, it's it's my plan at this point to to get over there. If I can if I can get over there without losing my job, I'll do <laughs> I'm gonna do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I know that feeling too. You gotta to take care you gotta take care of the family. Like I can say I'm still working full time myself, but yeah. But uh I would add to that though that if uh you know, right as of yesterday, I haven't checked this morning, but uh, we've got three rooms left that haven't been booked. Uh, now, I'm sure between now and then, there'll be somebody that has to back out because of a family emergency or something. So there'll probably be another one pop, pop up, too. But uh, yeah. but uh, we're trying to get you know those sold out, so to speak. But that being said, you know, they're like I say. Even if we get sold out, I don't want that to, um, you know, dispect, you know, prevent anybody from from coming because you can still stay somewhere else and pay an admission to get in and still enjoy sure. all the activities. And still, and there'll be local people. There'll be people there that you know are staying that get to live within a get a thirty, forty, fifty mile radius of here, and sure. and they'll 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 you know they'll they'll just drive over and be plenty of them too, but. Uh, if anybody does want to, any of your listeners or you, anybody else, I, I post on. I try to post 
don't get on a whole lot of the websites or social media stuff just because I don't like arguing with people, but I have put some stuff on out there about, uh, you know, calling to reserve the room or yep, going yep. online to the website to reserve the room or whatever. And, uh, yep. I try to, I try to share that when I see it. Yep. Yeah. The phone number is 828. Again, I think two eight nine two six seventeen seventeen. And of course, you can go on the online on the um, Metal Art Motel uh, website and reserve online if you like to. And your complimentary breakfast is included and stay in there. And like I said, we have a free barbecue dinner for you Monday, Saturday night. And we've got the panel of displays in three rooms in the actual motel itself. Uh, from the Western Carolina plot exhibit that we did back in 2009. So we actually cool. do some kind of walking tours through it. So it explains some of that to people too. So it'll be a big time. That's great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I was, I've, I've been looking forward to it. It's, you know, you and I have exchanged some words about it, but I can feel after this conversation, I am even more jazzed about it, which uh, I, I wouldn't have said was possible a few hours ago. <laughs> So, but I really appreciate uh, you coming on. Always so good to talk to you. And um, I don't know when this one will air, but um, I'm going to keep, whenever you put stuff out on Facebook, I'll keep sharing it uh, in terms of um, this event, because I think it's it's a great event. Um, And especially after the whole pandemic where people haven't, you know, really... There's not a lot of these kind of events that have survived and, you know, the ones that have, 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 have been struggling. So it's, it's, uh, you know, to have something like this to, to look forward to, I think is so, at least for me, it, it does a lot for my psyche, just having something to look forward to something that I, you know, can, so I, I appreciate you putting it on and, and, uh, you know, giving, yeah, giving us all something to, uh, to, uh, look forward to. Well, we appreciate that, and we need you know to continue doing it. We need we need, we need support, you know. We need people to come out for it. And last year they did, and I feel like if we continue to grow this thing, and it's going to get nothing but bigger. And and we've got other events there too. I mean, for people, I know you can't come over here from away every few weeks, but you know, we've got fly fishing camps and uh, music camps and Cherokee Scholar camps and summits and mountain heritage festivals and all that's great to different things to uh, you know, promote historical culture in the region mm-hmm. and uh, with programs, just hands-on programming and, and, and demonstrations and that sort of stuff and usually music involved in some form or fashion. So, um, so yeah, you know, I encourage people that, that do live within you know, the easy travel distance to, uh, you know, to come to all of them if they can because it's uh, uh, we really enjoy it. We enjoy exposing that to people, and, yeah. and, and yeah, you know, hopefully we all learn something in the process. You know? Yeah, I mean, and for the people who live there, you know, it's it's really their culture you're preserving. You know, it's their cultural heritage that you're you're preserving by, you know, reminding people of it. You know, it's when people forget that it that it's gone. You know, so I, th- I it's it's a great uh, great thing that you're doing there. I really I love. I think it. that's a well, thanks. And I will add one last thing because I know you got to go, but uh, I would add that, you know, 
a big purpose of what we're doing this too is again to expose people who may not be familiar with it or people who have these preconceived notions of oh well you know bear hunting's bad or mm. or coon hunting's bad or you know, cougar or fox hunting's bad no no it's part of the you know circle of life and environment if it's done correctly now I'm talking about ethically and, and, and correctly. I'm not talking about poachers and, and that sort of thing. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but I'm talking about, you know, doing it right is important. And it's important to keeping things in balance. It's important to keeping animal born diseases down. It's important mm. to uh, keeping vehicle animal collisions down. It's important to preventing predatory attacks of, you know, when you do the you know, bear population and a wolf population increases so much that they start looking as to humans as, as food sources, you know. So you have yeah. to think about all those things too. And like I tell people all the time, you don't have to you don't have to own a dog. You don't have to be a hunter, but you should at least support and advocate the people that do because, you know, most of them are good people. Most of them are doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, the, the ones that aren't are the ones that hurt us, but we have to try to work around them and educate the people that do. And uh, just so that, you know, next time, uh, if you have to deal with this in Norway, but over here, we constantly have to deal with, you know, you've got people moved in who don't want anybody to hunt on their land or, mm-hmm. or don't want anybody to want you to go retrieve your dogs on their land. So you have to find ways to kind of, let them see that, okay, I respect that you don't want me to hunt there, but, you know, at least, you know, in a positive fashion, don't, you know, don't turn it into a shootout if I have to go on your land and get my dogs or, right. you know, that sort of thing. Just try to, you know, keep everything positive and keep everything where everybody understands yeah. the reasons behind it. And, and I think once they do that, then you know, everybody, everybody, benefits from that and you know understanding each other and and and, uh, and why we do things and, mm-hmm. and and it's not this you know you, you hear all these these terrible things about oh i heard y'all do this i heard you do that and it's just most of it's just hogwash you know right. I mean, just complete bs and so you have to say well and you know and, then when, and, when, and when you can when I, I go out and do programs a lot and people say well you know you're wasting all these times all these programs you could be spending more time in the woods i'm like yeah I could, and I do spend as much time doing it as I can, but these programs are important because if you don't educate these people and let them see that our side of the story, if these dogs, a tracking collar is a torture, uh, you know, that, you know, that, it, but educate them. Let them understand that, you know, they don't have to do it, but at least let them see that, you know, these dogs are doing what they were bred to do, what they want to do. I mean, you can't, it's like your dog, Dan, you didn't make that dog do anything it did for 38 hours. Right. <laughs> he did that because he wanted to. Right. Uh, and and so he, he's doing what he was bred to do, what he loves to do. And, yep. you know, you certainly nothing that's more heartbreaking than losing one of them. But if you do, they're at least dying doing something or that they love doing, you know, uh, Right, you know, so, it's it's uh, yeah. So I, mean, I think it's just a, a education. Education is well, a big part of this, and and, and you, know, you mentioned the, the 
you mentioned the Garmin collars too. We're going to have Gary Beatty there from CP Hunting Supplies in East Tennessee. He's going to have a big trailer, and he's donating the top of the line Garmin tracking system that we're going to raffle off for you know for to win there at the at oh, great. as well. Great, so great, great. another good reason to come. Yeah, for sure. Oh, there's uh, there's there's so many there's too many good reasons to not go. You know, that's the thing. There's just so many good reasons to go. There's no good reason not to go. So anybody who's listening to this and has the possibility, I encourage you, there you go. to get over there. Come and meet me. I'm going to do my best to be there. And uh, I would love to. Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting everybody well, and talking to everybody. All right, Bob, I really appreciate it. I will. Uh, we'll get you on here again at some point. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. All right. Same here, man. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound.